This is Women of Grace Live, discussing issues important to your life and faith. Spiritual insight, practical wisdom. Join us as we transform the world one woman at a time. Women of Grace, for such a time as this. Now, here's your host, Johnette Williams. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Women of Grace Live. I am Johnette Williams, absolutely delighted and happy to be with you today. We love to spend this time with you Monday through Friday discussing issues of importance to your life and your faith. You know that that's what we do right here. When we do a day like we're going to do today, which is when we dip into those emails and dip into our listener comment calls. And let me tell you how you can leave a comment call for us. You simply use the on-air number, but you use it after 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern time <laughs> because we use that number for the live shows up until that time. So if you want to call us after 4 p.m. and leave a comment for us, you certainly can do that. We're available to you that way all night long. And when we do a day like we're going to do today, then we're able to take those comments and we're able to address them. So that number is 833-288-EWTN. Again, 833-288-3986. I'm asking you today only to use that to leave a comment for us. We are going to be taking uh, comments that have been left for us in the past today, so we are not going to be using that number on air today. So hope we've got all that straightened away. <laughs> Always do like to invite you to get out there to our website, womenofgrace.com. has all kinds of great things for you there. One thing it has for you is a listing of our upcoming events, where I'm going to be, who's going to be where, what we're going to be talking about, and generally speaking, a way to register right online there. Oftentimes, it's me in person, but sometimes it's when we're doing something virtually. Uh, we have been doing a lot of things virtually, and we discover that people do enjoy that because because it enables them to be present to an event when otherwise they might not be because of travel restrictions or inabilities to make a certain date. We've got all of those beautiful, beautiful uh, events archived for you underneath our Women of Grace exclusive opportunity that's available for you on our website. That is there as well as the webinars that we've done on a great variety of topics. All of our conference talks and retreat talks are also archived there for you. I'm telling you, it is a veritable, veritable treasure trove of good Catholic information and inspiration. So we invite you to subscribe to Women of Grace Exclusive very inexpensive amount on a monthly basis, or you can pay it yearly, of course, too. Uh, but all of that being said, you know, it, it's a really great investment because you cannot, uh, you know, spend money any better way than investing in your eternal salvation. And I'm not saying this is going to bring you eternal salvation. That's up to you to cooperate with God's grace. But it certainly can inspire you to do that. It can give you the tools that you need to do that. It can put you in a position where you want to do that simply because the Holy Spirit prevails. So we do invite you to become a subscriber to Women of Grace exclusive. Uh, you know, as we look at the opportunities that are available for us in our day and time, we realize that God always meets our needs and we are a needy people today. We are facing so many difficulties, so many uh, various kinds of worldwide struggles, not to mention that which is going on in the United States, in Canada, uh, you know, with our, our neighbors to the south of us too, in Mexico and South and Central America, all kinds of things that are happening in 
this part of the hemisphere, not to mention what's going on uh, across the waters into Europe and beyond. So we need every gift that God wants to give us. We need every spiritual blessing that God wants to give us. And we need to be good cooperators with the grace that comes by way of these manifold blessings. And I do believe that many of the apostolates that have been raised up at this moment in time, I would say everyone that's been raised up at this moment in time, really is about a work to help us to be able to uh, put at our disposal opportunities to experience these graces and opportunities to cooperate with those graces and to give us instruction on how to cooperate with those graces. That's a whole lot of the work that we do at Women of Grace for the broad audience, right, for men and women. But then in a very special way, we do it for women. And so I want to encourage you ladies, if you have not yet taken the Women of Grace Foundational Study, or even if you have taken the Women of Grace Foundational Study, I want to encourage you to do so and do it again if you've taken it in the past. I just talked to somebody uh, this past week who was sharing with me about her first entry into the study, her desire to be a facilitator, which she is going to be and is in the process of of, uh, becoming. But she said that, you know, so many women that she knows has taken the foundational study more than one time. And I tell her that's because it, 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 we are never spiritually in the same place that we were when we took it in the past. And, you know, neither are the circumstances of our lives. They're all different too. So there's a different application at every time we take it. And thirdly, it's because the teachings of the church are there. It's because the teachings of sacred scripture are there. It's because these are eternal truths. They're immutable truths that women are learning. And you can never plumb the depths of these immutable truths, right? Uh, you know, they, they, we can't exhaust them because they're infinite. They, they are, they, they're, they're a mirror of God. God is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So you cannot exhaust the second person of the Blessed Trinity made flesh, Jesus. So there's always something new for you in that study. And if you've not facilitated, I want to encourage you, be a facilitator, become a spiritual mother to other women who then can be spiritual mothers to other women. And I think that we can begin to see what kind of an effect this can have in the world. You know, if we all come to a deeper understanding and appreciation of who we are as daughters of the Most High God, and we begin to live out that reality to the best of our ability, if we begin to allow the feminine genius to live in us, right, and to cooperate with the grace of the feminine genius, we begin to discover that great things happen. And to the extent that we can introduce women to that and then have those women introduce other women who introduce other women who introduce other women. Well, I'm telling you, ladies, you know, I think that we can see, you know, a a tremendous effect that women can have in the world today. I do believe, as many others do, that woman is God's secret weapon for this our day and time. So what is the purpose of our Women of Grace Foundational Study is to train up women. It's to help women understand who they are, to step with confidence into the great gift of their spiritual maternity, spiritual motherhood, to acquire, uh, you know, and to expand the feminine genius within themselves, Uh, not to hearken to the zeitgeist of the day and time, to the radical feminist agenda that convinces us that, you know, gender is not immutable and that there's nothing special about being male or female, that it's all social engineering, to stand in the face of that and say, oh, no, I know differently. And then we become this woman that has the power of God at her side and can do great and mighty things, not on her own, but through the power of God that reigns within her. And that's what we're about. So I do want you to get out there to womenofgrace.com. If you haven't taken the study, you know, take it. 
Find out where it's being offered. Call us at uh, Women of Grace. Our number is available for you right there on our website. We want to encourage you. We want for you to be set free so that you can set others free. Woohoo! Isn't that a great idea? We think so because it's not ours. <laughs> it was an inspired thought of the Lord that caused Women of Grace to come into being. And I do think that that's why it's been so very fruitful. So we invite you to check it all out there at womenofgrace.com. When we come back from the break, we're going to be taking a lot of your calls and a lot of your uh, messages that have come to us. And a lot of them center around heaven. So we're going to be talking about heaven when we come back from our break. Looking forward to being with you right here on Women of Grace Live. We are not taking calls today. We are listening to the comment calls that have been left for us and answering them. You're going to be excited to hear what others have left, and we want to invite you to use that comment line too. It's 833-288-EWTN, same as the on-air line. Use it after 4 p.m. Eastern time. We're coming right back to you. More on the other side of the break. I'm Johnette Williams. This is Women of Grace Live. Welcome back, friends. You're listening to Women of Grace Live. I am Johnette Williams. Absolutely, absolutely happy to be with you today. I'll tell you what, uh, it's an important day in the Lord. Every single day is an important day in the Lord. Why? Because every day God is dispensing abundant graces upon us, and he wants us to use these graces to be transformers in this our day and time. Yes, he does. And uh, in a special way, he wants to use women. I was telling you that prior to the break, before we get to our calls, I just came across this wonderful quote by St. Madeline Sophie Barat. Many of you might know her. She uh, was the uh, founder of um, the Sisters of the Sacred Heart. And what a beautiful, beautiful grace uh, St. Madeline Sophie Barat uh, has been uh, from the time that God created her <laughs> until the present day where she is with him in heaven. She says this, for in this century, now, of course, she's not talking about our century. She's talking about all the way back uh, in the uh, era of the French Revolution. For in this century, we must no longer count on men to preserve the faith. The grain of faith that will be saved will hide itself among women. A woman cannot remain neutral in the world. She too is set for the fall and resurrection of many. Isn't that an important quote? What she's really doing is extolling the fact that women have a key part to play in the evangelization of the world, and we cannot remain neutral. We've got to take a stand. We either stand with Jesus or we don't stand with Jesus. We're either for him or against him. He himself says that, right? In sacred scripture, you're either for me or against me. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? Don't capitulate. You cannot be maybe. You cannot be a maybe person. You have to be a yes or a no person. And she's saying that women cannot remain neutral in the world. So ladies, I'm just calling upon you today. We cannot remain neutral in the world. We must be who we've been called to be in this our day and time. God through his grace, has imbued us with our gender that has the capacity to be used by him to be a mighty force in this our day and time and every day and time. So I really want to encourage you, you know, do what I was suggesting prior to the break there. Get out there, take our Women of Grace foundational study. Uh, we often do it online. We've had lots of ladies online. We have it going on throughout South America right now, online. It's an amazing thing. Uh, this is a movement of the Holy Spirit. I say that only because I see it. It is humanly impossible 
uh, for this to have done, been done without the grace of God. And God is behind it. The Holy Spirit is blowing upon it. He's moving it forward. Our Blessed Lady is in the midst of all of it, and wonderful things are happening. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I've been encouraging you also to use our listener comment line, which is the same as our on-air line. It's 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. You use it after 4 p.m. in the afternoon, which is when, our, that's Eastern time, that's when our last live show is off of the air. And you can leave a question for us there, and then Jeff Burson gets it, and on a day like this, we take those comments. So I'm ready. Are you ready? Jeff, are you ready? I think we're all ready. So go ahead, Jeff. What's the first one up? Catherine, Elizabethville, Pennsylvania. I want to know when we die, assuming we go to heaven. Do we see the people we love? Like my husband has passed away. Can is he watching over me? Can they see us here on earth? And will we know them if we go to heaven? I always thought they watched over us, but I've been told no. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for your question. This is a great question. Um, I love what you said. When we die and when we go to heaven. <laughs> That's not always an immediate <laughs> result and condition of our death, okay? So I, I just want to insert that at the beginning of the answer uh, that I'm going to give you. So, you know, sometimes we, we spend some time in purgatory. Uh, hopefully, we arrive at least at purgatory because the other option is not such a good one. That's eternal damnation. So if we die and we're in the state of grace, which means that we have not committed grave sin, okay? Uh, and, it, of course, we know that to commit grave sin, we have to know it's a grave sin, number one. Uh, we have, it has to be grave matter, number two, and that we also have to consent to it, right? So we do it anyway. Uh, so if, if we are not in a, in a, in a state of obstinacy against God, you know, uh, that, that deals a mortal blow to our spiritual life, uh, you know, but we still die with some remnants of sin, uh, or the effects of sin, either that we've committed or that have been committed against us, we're going to spend a little time, maybe a long time, I don't know, it depends, uh, in purgatory, which is God's, uh, you know, mercy room. It's the place where he goes. It's triage center for the soul. It's where we go to be healed of all that needs yet to be healed within us and purified within us. So we may not enter into uh, you know, the beatific vision right away. And we can never discount that. And I like to say that even some of the great saints did a flyover over purgatory. So, you know, uh, there's, it's not an immediate going up. And this is one of the reasons why we pray for our dead. So I really want to encourage you to pray for the repose of the soul of your husband. He might've been a great man, a fine man, a terrific man, but we don't know and cannot judge the status of soul, either that it's going on to, you know, eternal beatitude uh, or that it is going to spend some time in purgatory or God forbid, it's going to be damned. We don't know. So we, we, you know, we do the very best thing that we possibly can. And that is that we assume the soul is saved, but we pray for that soul right? We don't stop praying for that soul. So I want to encourage you to continue to pray for your husband. Your prayers can merit much for him. If he's in purgatory, he can no longer merit grace, but you through your prayers can uh, be a source of grace reaching him. 
And so as a result of that, I want to encourage you to do that. Now, the question is, you know, will you see your loved ones? Well, we're assured that we're going to see our loved ones. Uh, St. John the 23rd has a beautiful quote that I love to use. And uh, it was a quote that, that really uh, consoled my heart when I lost my son. And that was that our loved ones are not separated from us, but only invisible to us. And this is the teaching of the church. And I want to encourage you to go out and get a catechism of the Catholic Church if you don't have one. Go to the index and look up purgatory because you're going to read beautiful things in there about purgatory, about the souls that are suffering there in purgatory, but about our connection with the entirety of the communion of saints, which is uh, the church triumphant, those in heaven, the church suffering, those in purgatory, the church militant, those of us still fighting, you know, the good fight, uh, those of us that are still on earth. So, um, you know, the the reality is that, that you know, there there is that capacity. Now, as for praying for us, the souls in purgatory cannot pray for themselves, but they can pray for us. So we can have this kind of spiritual relationship with those who have passed before us. Now, if your husband is in heaven, you're asking, are you going to see him again? Uh, I gave you that beautiful quote from John the 23rd. Yes, the church says we will see our loved ones again. As a matter of fact, in 1 Thessalonians, we read this beautiful passage. This is St. Paul to the Thessalonians. And he says, um, we would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Okay, Uh, he says, for this, we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. So the idea is we are going to be uh, with our loved ones on the other side of the veil. We will know them and they will know us. Now you're asking, can your husband uh, pray for you? Yes, I think I answered that. Whether he's in purgatory or in heaven, he certainly can pray for you. The question is, is he watching over you? This is an interesting thing. Uh, the soul does not become omniscient. God is all-knowing. God is omnipresent. The soul is not omniscient. The soul is not omnipresent. And we are not going to be omniscient, nor are we going to be omnipresent when we pass on. So does your husband know everything that's going on in your life right now? Is he like, does it, are his eyes firmly fixed upon you? Sacred scripture tells us that the eyes of the Lord are firmly fixed upon us. God knows everything about us. To the extent that it is of to our benefit for our loved ones to know, God will give them the capacity to know. This is what many of the great theologians have said. Uh, This might be a little speculative. I'm not really sure. But the fact of the matter is there is teaching to uh, indicate to us that our loved ones certainly uh, can be granted by God the ability to see what's going on in our lives. And when we pray and ask for the, the, the benefaction of our loved ones, when we ask them to intercede and to pray for us, then we feel confident that our loved ones will know what that prayer is and will be able to assist us in that way. How all of that works out, I don't know. Uh, and there might be writings about it. I'm not overly familiar with them if they are. But I can say this. I think that our guardian angel plays a part in this. Uh, we know that our guardian angel will carry our intercessions to the Lord. And I'm sure 
that our guardian angel who carries the intercession to the Lord, uh, you know, is also there maybe to take our intercession from the Lord to our loved one, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I'm sure that it pleases our deceased loved ones to interact with us in this way. Now, this is not the same thing as conjuring up the dead. This is not the same thing as trying to evoke you know, the spirits of the dead. This has nothing to do with that. It has to do with a marvelous connection between uh, the, 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 the mystical body of Christ, those in heaven, those suffering in purgatory, and those still fighting the good fight here on earth, the church militant. I hope that helps you. Uh, frankly, you know, I think it's a, it's a holy practice uh, to, to interact with our loved ones there and to pour out our hearts to them. And I think our, our guardian angels are very instrumental in carrying those messages forward into the heavenlies. That's what uh, I'm going to share with you today. So I hope that that helps you very much. Do we have another call? Laurie Bradley, Illinois. Do all people go to purgatory to pay for their sins when they die? All right, Laurie from Illinois. The answer to that is no, not all souls go to purgatory. Uh, the, 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 the use of that word all is what uh, gives you the answer that you're receiving. Uh, if not all souls uh, go to purgatory. Some souls will go straight to heaven. Absolutely. But unfortunately, some souls will be damned to hell. Now, understand, God does not damn a soul to hell. A soul damns himself or herself to hell. Okay. Notice that I use gender there. Because we never change in heaven. We're either male or female in heaven, uh, according to the way in which God created us. So though there is not the corporeal reality of the body at that moment, nonetheless, the essence of the person, uh, which has to do with whether he is male or female, remains. Souls are not androgynous. They don't morph off into some kind of, of uh, um, you know, asexual being. Uh, there is still a presence. There's still a reality about them that is male or female. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, because St. Thomas Aquinas tells us that the uh, uh, soul is is the substantive form of the body, then uh, the the reality of the body, the physicality of the body indicates something about the soul. Uh, This is why, you know, the church's position on this transgenderism is as it is. You You can mutilate the body, you can surgically alter the body, but you can't change the reality of who the person is. And and we even know that physically because the DNA is always going to show that that's a male or a female. It's never going to change no matter what, you know, um, our psychology might be, uh, or how we're trying to convince ourselves or what we do to the body. We're going to remain who we are and we're going to remain that way for all eternity. So at the moment of death, there is a particular judgment. The soul meets God face to face. And there is this moment of accountability and this moment of accountability is that which determines where we end up for all eternity. If we die in a state of grace, as I was explaining a little bit ago, if we die in a state of grace, uh, then we are going to either enter into eternal beatitude if all of our sins have been, temporal punishment for our sins has been remitted, and uh, all of the, the wounds of our heart caused there by ourselves, the residual effect of sin, either ours or others, is also resolved, we're going to enter straight into heaven. 
If, however, there's a vestige of that that remains to greater or lesser extent, it's going to be worked out and it's going to be worked out in purgatory, which is why I always say, let's try to take care of these things in this life because it's going to be a lot harder to take care of it in the next life. It's going to be far more painful there than it is here. It is difficult, I know, to walk through these areas of, of, of uh, accountability in our lives. It's very uh, difficult sometimes to look back and to see how the, the choices that we've made, free will choices that we've made, have so afflicted our lives. But that's the beginning of restoration because until we walk into the light of truth and see things as they are, we are held in bondage to them because they're kept in the darkness. So we want to go through that process here to the extent that we can. So no, all souls will not go to purgatory. Some will go. I would say the vast majority will go speculation on my part. Some will go immediately to heaven. Some will be damned by their own choice. Their obstinacy against God will remain even when they know that their eternal destiny is right before them. So there you have it. I hope that that helps you. And um, I think we have time for one more call. And if not, we'll take it after the break. Let's see what we've got here. Cynthia Benton, Louisiana. I've been told that pets do not go to heaven because they don't have a soul. I've always believed and do believe that they do have a soul. Can you answer that question for me, please? Thank you, and have a blessed day. Well, Cynthia from Louisiana, thank you so very much. And your question is one that that, uh, I think rings in a lot of people's hearts. It has rung in my heart, too. Uh, And uh, so let's just talk about this. You do believe that pets have a soul. You're absolutely right. Every single living thing has a soul, including plant life. But the soul of a plant, the soul of of an animal is not the same as the human soul. Only the human soul is immortal. All right. The soul of a dog the soul of a cat, the soul of a monkey, (laughs) or any other pet that you might have, a bunny rabbit, uh, any other pet, and the soul of plant life are not the same kinds of souls, all right? So, you know, the, the, the soul of a plant... Um, has no capacity to uh, to recognize itself or even to know that it exists. Uh, and it's somewhat similar with the soul of, of animals. Uh, they, they don't have reasoning capacity as a human person has. Um, they don't really know that they exist. They don't have self-awareness in that way. Uh, but they do have emotions to a certain degree. We know that just uh, based on the way in which they respond. So there's something more operative in their soul that is like a human soul than like a plant soul, but their soul is not the soul that is endowed with the faculties that God gives to the human soul. We are created in the image and likeness of God, and that image and likeness of God resides within the human person and resides within his soul, right? So we have reason, we have self-awareness, self-consciousness. We image God in those ways. We have free will. Animals are driven by instinct. We can make decisions. They don't sit there and say, gee, I wonder, you know, if I should drink some water right now. They're driven to water by virtue of their instinct. Man says, I'm a little thirsty, but, uh, you know, I I think I'm going to just finish this, uh, you know, last little uh, bit of correspondence that I have here before I get up and get a drink of water. Animals cannot do that. So their souls are not immortal. Hence, the teaching is that animals do not go to heaven as people go to heaven. Now, what it's going to be, you know, there, new new heaven, new earth, I don't know. But animals, typically, I, I do believe that the theologians tell us, animals are not going to experience heaven. 
So that's that's the news that I can give you on that. When you hear that music, we're off to a break right now. When we come back, more right here on Women of Grace Live. I'm Johnette Williams inviting you to stay with us on this listener comment call answering day. Now, Cynthia, I'm coming back to Cynthia, everybody. Welcome back. This is Johnette Williams. It's Women of Grace Live here. Uh, I'm all excited to share something with Cynthia that I think um, will bring a little bit of peace to your soul. Obviously, you have a pet that you love very much or have loved very much, and you do hope to see that pet again. Well, understand it. Two things. Number one, um, uh, I did hear, I do believe it was Benedict Groeschel. I'm going to give him credit for this. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I do think it was Father Benedict Groeschel who made the comment that if your heaven includes your pet and you're not going to be happy to, to fullness without that pet in heaven, then that pet will be there. But here's the fact of the matter. We, because we have not experienced God in his fullness, although we have had tastes of him, I'm sure, uh, cannot begin to imagine the, 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 the explosion of joy and happiness, the fulfillment that is experienced in his divine and holy presence. So the idea is that he is the fulfillment of all desire. So if God is the fulfillment of all desire, and we look at that word all, which is all inclusive and leaves nothing out. If God is the fulfillment of all desire, we are going to be instantly filled <laughs> to overflowing with joy and heavenly beatitude. And it will expunge any other kind of desire that we would think we would have since we're still on this side of the veil, right? Because we don't see with eternal eyes at this point. We don't understand with eternal vision. We see it, but we see it as St. Paul says, you know, as in a mirror dimly, we don't see the fullness of it. When we see the fullness of it, everything is going to to uh, fall into that category of divine and holy fulfillment. So I don't think you need to worry about it or grieve about it um, or become despondent over it. Um, Isn't it beautiful that God entrusted a pet to you in this life that brought you such joy and the joy of the moment you know, is satisfying and that joy of the moment should be enough. Uh, so I hope that that helps you right now. <laughs> look, look for the great reality that you're going to see God face to face. Oh my goodness. That's going to be quite an amazing eternity. Do we have another call there, Jeff? Kathy from Des Moines, Iowa. Question regarding just when um, you're kind of near your death, um, do you kind of go in and out? i wonder um kind of experiencing that with a family member i as a devoted catholic feel that you do um asking concerned about it thank you oh sweetheart uh, i think it's kathy uh i think that that's your name right um and i, I, I my heart goes out to you in this moment i know how difficult that is uh, having been there for the death of my mom and my dad and my late husband uh, I know that moment very, very well. And what you're really asking here is, is it possible that in some way, uh, you know, they're already experiencing a, a, a bit, a taste of, of eternal life, even though they're still confined to the body. And I, I think that that is true. I think that that is a, a point of transitioning that can take some time to happen. Uh, I remember with my grandmother, though, I wasn't at her bedside. I was out of town when my grandmother passed, but I can remember the family members were commenting that she was talking 
to uh, her deceased sister, for example, and it called the attention of the family members asking if they could see her. I remember with my late husband, um, he he would uh, look up, uh, you know, towards the ceiling and he, he would ask me, you know, can you see them up there? Do you, do you see them? And, uh, you know, so I know that, that, that there was a, a he, he was he was beginning to step out of this world and into the next world. And that can go on for a little while. And it can be troubling unless we understand that our loved ones are, are, are in this moment of preparation for eternal life. And I'll tell you what I think is very important for us, uh, the, the, the uh, family members who will survive this one that is passing. I think it's very important for us to make use of that opportunity, uh, not to be appalled by it or frightened by it, uh, not to be, um, uh, you know, um, disgruntled, you know, or, or, or trying to convince them otherwise. I think that that's very disturbing. I don't think that's the right attitude. I think that we need to be aware, okay, this is what's happening. My loved one is, is preparing, you know, and God is preparing my loved one for this death that is going to take place. And this is a very fertile time, a very fertile time for prayer. Prayer is very useful and beneficial. And it's also very calming to the person who is passing, especially if this person is a person of faith. Uh, you know, to pray. And we know that our Lord told St. Faustina that the chaplet of divine mercy prayed around the bedside of someone who is dying is very, very efficacious. So this is a time to help your loved one to relax in that moment a little bit. Uh, if they seem to become agitated by all of this, to relax, to pick up those holy beads, to pray the rosary, to pray the chaplet of divine mercy, to maybe softly sing some hymns, uh, to, 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 you know, basically, what do I want to say? You know, to, to, to be vigilant, uh, you know, to stand vigil for that loved one during that time. Uh, so, you know, now another thing I want to say is that we have some indication, I think, in sacred scripture about that moment. And this comes from the act of the apostles. Um, and this act of the apostles, I want to see if I can find this exact segment here. This, this is when um, uh, St. Stephen is, is being stoned to death. This is a very important moment. And, and we see several things here. Let me just see if I can find this. Oh, I hope I can find it. Let me see. Uh, do, 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 do. Um, if I can't find it, I'll tell you about it. And I think I'll start to tell you even as I'm continuing to look here. I don't know exactly where this is. But uh, St. Stephen was being stoned to death. You might recall that. And as St. Stephen was being stoned to death, an interesting thing began to happen. Uh, it was as if the heavens opened up to him. And with the heavens opening up to him, he began to, to experience heavenly bliss, even as he was being stoned and pelted to death. So it's as if he had one foot in the eternal now, one foot in eternity, and one foot in life. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an important passage because I think that it helps for us to understand that, you know, there is this passing moment and heaven can open up. And there is this, uh, this, this connection in the uh, communion of saints, the church triumphant, the church militant, and the church suffering. So don't be alarmed. Uh, take this as, as a beautiful opportunity to increase prayer, to be vigilant around the bedside of your loved one, to remain firm, and to, um, and to be of great assistance to them. So, okay, so I'm getting a message here. It's Acts 7, verse 56. Let me find that really fast here. I had Acts open there, 
but I didn't have that particular passage open. Okay, let me see, 56, here it is. Um, okay, I'll start at 54. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth against him. Uh, and this is, uh, this is uh, Stephen talking to the, the uh, stiff-necked people, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, now note, this is taking place in time, but out of time. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth against him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, and this is Stephen saying, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they, meaning those who had the stones that they were going to pelt against him, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together upon him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep and Saul was consenting to his death. So when we read that passage, we see that this is a tremendous moment. And I think it gives us indication of what can happen to a soul when that soul is preparing to or is in some some mode of of passing from this life to the next right uh and so we look at this reality and understand it we praise and thank god for it we're there to assist uh the passage of the soul and um we do the best that we can to bring that kind of holy comfort to the one that we love so i hope that that helps you next one jeff yeah hi my name is felix my question is if an infant was somehow was not baptized by his parents and he died, will he automatically go to hell because his original sin is still in him? Or where will he go? Thank you. Well, this is a very good question, and we don't have an exact answer for you. And theologians are basically undecided, and the church doesn't have uh, 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 you know, definitive teaching on this either. So what happens to a person who is non-baptized, uh, especially if this person is a child? You know, what happens to these little babies? Uh, what happens? Uh, and we don't really know. But we hold out the hope that there is some provision that is made for them. We have, we believe that there is some provision that is made for them uh, through God's mercy. And there is also something called the baptism of desire, whereby we might be desiring to be baptized or desiring to have a child baptized, but the child or the individual expires before that opportunity is there. God looks upon that desire of the heart, right? And so the church does teach us that there is such a thing as a baptism of desire. So there is that, and I do believe that there is a baptism uh, by blood too, where a person, uh, you know, can be offering himself for the Lord uh, in that in that moment. So uh, we're we're going to go with that. I can't give you much more information upon about that, but I do know that the Catechism talks about it. And again, I always recommend that we go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church to find out what the Church teaches on these hard issues uh, and what we want. You know. We, 
in this life, we, we want that assurance. We want that peace. Uh, we want to know that this child or this loved one um, has has the opportunity for eternal life. God sees these things, and as many say, and some theologians uh, definitely agree, there must be some provision that God makes. So we'll go to our next one, Jeff. My name is Ruth. I'm calling from Texas. I, I was praying for my husband for a lot of years, and he died. And he died on the Immaculate Conception. I was wondering if he went to heaven. He had his rights before he died. Would that be uh, a sign that he did go to heaven? Thank you. Well, thank you, Ruth from Texas. Um, Let's talk about this for a moment. You don't tell me too much about the history of your husband. So I don't know, you know, in reference to the question that was just asked, if he was baptized. Now, you say he had his rights. I'm, I'm thinking that you're talking about he had uh, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick contained within that, you know, the, the, the last rites, extreme unction. Uh, and, and if, of course, he received that sacrament, then it means that he was baptized. Now, when we receive uh, the sacrament, um, of extreme unction, then there is usually absolution that accompanies that. And if the party is conscious and able, they will make a confession and they will receive absolution. Now, when your husband received those rights, if he received absolution, then we know that the sin that he had committed in his life would have been forgiven by God. However, we also know that in addition to the sin, there is an effect of that sin. It's like having had a disease, right? You might be very, very sick, and that that illness might be cured, but there could be a residual effect. You might have a weakness in a certain area of of your constitution. You you might carry some kind of debility as a result of that illness. Uh, For example, uh, there are some illnesses, I believe it was smallpox, that would leave a heart murmur, uh, you know, in a heart. For So there can be a residual effect. The same holds true for a malady of the soul. And the great malady of the soul is sin. Uh, it, can be, it can be a mortal malady, uh, which causes the spiritual life to be dead in us. Uh, of course, a good confession can restore that. But there can also be venial sin, which strikes, you know, uh, uh, little injuries to the heart uh, or rather to the soul, which can cumulatively create a, a great problem for the soul. All of that can be forgiven through the sacrament. That's the cure if you want to compare that to, to uh, you know, medical science. However, a residual effect can remain. And that residual effect may still need to be rectified after the soul dies. So receiving the, uh, you know, the sacrament of extreme unction, receiving absolution, etc., is not a guarantee that the soul goes straight to heaven because we don't know if that temporal punishment has been remitted or if the sins that have been committed against a person have been completely healed yet. So they certainly have gained eternal life. That we can say. But we can't say that the soul has, uh, you know, gone straight to heaven. Now, you say that he died on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. What a beautiful day to go into eternal life, I just must say. And it's always lovely when we can look at these days and we can see a connection to some aspect of our faith. Um, Can we look at that sign, though, and say that that's a guarantee? I think that would be a stretch. We can look at that sign, though, and see it as a consolation, maybe, that heaven is giving us uh, to to 
uh, you know, slake the, the, the grief that we might be feeling in that moment and to give us encouragement and to give us hope. But we don't ever want to take that as a definitive statement that the loved one is passed straight into heaven. Why? Because that would stop us from praying for that soul. And we should pray for every soul because we don't really know if that soul went into eternal life. And if, in fact, it did, our prayers are not wasted. God will apply them to another soul that greatly needs it. That's God's economy. Nothing is wasted with God. And, um, you know, but if our, if our loved one still needs the help and the assistance of our prayer when he's gone on, then he's getting it. So what would I say to you? I would say that if your husband received uh, the last rites and he received absolution and he was truly contrite for his sins and met all of the qualifications that are necessary there, then I would say you can be at peace that he has eternal life. You cannot determine, however, if he is in purgatory or if he's in heaven. So what is your job now? Your job is to pray for him. Your job is to have masses said for him. And probably until the, you take your last breath. And hopefully somebody will do the same for you when you have taken your last breath. Uh, and I would really encourage you to, to uh, ask for that. Put it in your will if you need to. Uh, thank you very much, Ruth. And I hope that that helps you. We appreciate it. Another one, Jeff? I'm Martine from Lancaster, and what do you think about the people who uh, throw ashes of the dead in street in the uh, parks and in the rivers? Thank you. Well, Marlene from Lancaster, I don't think favorably of it. Um, I stand with the church on this one. Here's the thing: the human person has great dignity. The human person is created in the image and likeness of God. The human person therefore, needs to be treated with the dignity that he or she deserves as a child of the Most High God who reflects his image and likeness. This is why Holy Mother Church treats the corpse of an individual with great dignity. And it is not a dignified thing to take the ashes and spread them everywhere. This is not what Holy Church teaches. Holy Church, who now permits cremation, but for many centuries did not permit cremation, Holy Mother Church, who now permits it, says that those ashes have got to remain intact and those ashes need to be buried. They're not to sit in an urn, you know, on a mantle, in a home, or on somebody's bedroom dresser, or on a shelf. They are to be buried. They can be buried in one of two ways. Uh, they can be put to rest either in the ground or they can be put to rest in a columbarium, which has become very popular in Catholic churches uh, or in a mausoleum. But they have got to be put to rest. So we do not scatter ashes. They must remain integral. They must remain together. All right. Uh, so I think that it is... Um, you know, I don't know how the church would look at that um, in terms of, of evaluating that action, uh, what degree of sin it might be. Uh, but I think that it might be a sin against our, our neighbor, a sin against fellow man. Many Catholics are not aware of this. This is not talked about from the pulpit. I don't think I've ever really heard anybody talking about this kind of a thing. Uh, and I think it's very important that we do talk about it so that Catholics are properly informed. Now, oftentimes, people will leave this in their will. They want their ashes scattered. And then what do you do about that? Well, I'm telling you, you do what God desires. Because God desires, God's desires, 
uh, you know, trump man's desires. And it's the will of God spoken to us through his holy church that we bury those ashes or we put them to rest, either in the, in the ground or in, in, a, in a mausoleum of some type. So there you have it. And I know that this is shocking for some of you. And some of you are saying, oh, dear heavens, you know, we followed, you know, Uncle Joe's request and we scattered his ashes over Lake Erie or something like this. Well, because he liked to fish there, you know. Um, I think the soul sees it a little differently now. If you've already done that, you know, I, I, I would take it to your priest and say, you know, you acted with the knowledge that you had at the time uh, and sort that out so that you're not left with some kind of morbid guilt on this thing. But, you know, now. So going forward, I think that there will be accountability. Jeff? My name is Frances. I live in Conway, Arkansas. My question is, does God judge us at the moment of our death or at the end of the world? We're all judged at the same time. Thank well, you. Francis from, well, Francis from Arkansas, thank you for your question. Holy Mother Church teaches us that there is a particular judgment. Every soul will stand before God at the, as, as you know, the soul separates from the body and that separation is complete. The soul stands before the, the, before the throne of God and learns of his or her uh, eternal destiny. At the end of the world, Jesus will come again. If there are souls still living, we have reason to believe there will be, they will be judged. And then the souls of the... Of the, of the departed who have already gone on will also be, be raised and there will be a general judgment that everybody will hear about every individual and complete soul. I have no idea how that's going to happen. There's a lot of speculation about that. Uh, there's a lot of evidence, though, that we do have in sacred scripture as to how that will be. So, you know, it's, it's a both and, not an either or. There is a particular judgment and then there is the general judgment. Thank you for your question. It's a good one. And here we are, and we are very close to the end of our program today, so we're not going to take any more questions. My goodness, we had a lot on that topic, uh, you know, and so well, how should we live our day? What should we do every single day? We should live that day as if it were our last day. We should live that day as if we were going to see God that day, that somehow our body uh, would die and we would have that moment of particular judgment. So we always live, and that's not a morbid way to live. That's a hope-filled way to live. We should always live as if this day is the last day that we will have for as long as that last day may last. So let us live according to the law of God. Let us live according to the, to the uh, governance of Holy Catholic Church. Let us live according to the way in which... Father God would have us interact with each other and interact with him. It's been beautiful being with you today. We always invite you to leave a call for us there at our listener comment line, 833-288-EWTN is the number to use. I always tell you, use it after 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern time because that's when it's available to you that way. And we look forward to hearing from you via email as well, womenofgrace at EWTN.com. That's womenofgrace at EWTN.com. I'm Johnette Williams. You've been listening to Women of Grace Live. Until we're together again, may God richly bless you. Bye-bye now.